Good morning. And welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is Sunday, January the 22nd. I hope you all are doing well today. Welcome to those who joined us in person, those who are joining us online. Our, our scripture today, we continue our walk through John as we read a story of Jesus and a, a man who will eventually become his friend, Nicodemus. This is John 3, 1 through 21. If you wanted to follow along in your pew Bible, it's page 751. Now, there was a man of, a, uh, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform a miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sounds, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I will tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still you have spoken, you who have spoke, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe me. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. And whoever does not, believe, does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their, evil, their deeds were evil. Everyone who does hate evil... Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plain, seen plainly that what he has done has been through God. Blessed is the word. In many ways, I was really a very typical firstborn. 
I'm the oldest of three, and you know the whole stereotypes of, you know, first, middle, and youngest. Um, they played out certainly in certain ways. I will agree. I think Laban got preferential treatment, but that's beyond me. Anyway, I was definitely in some ways the firstborn in that I, and still to this day, when, when it comes to certain things, I like things to be done in an order. And, and I, when it comes to authority figures in my life, you know, I always kind of thought, oh, they know better than me. Which, as an adult, you learn that's not always the case. You know, teachers, pastors, politicians, whoever, you know, people in charge, eventually you learn your parents as well, are human, and being human means you're not perfect. But I, I remember the first case that this really jumped out at me. And it was, sadly, my senior year of high school. I figured there's probably events that happened before this, but this is the one that really jumps out to me. I was in AP composition, um, which, which basically, or was it AP? Yeah, AP composition. You know, the idea of, of learning to write effectively and reading lots of different things. And, and oddly enough, I. One of the books we read to understand composition better was Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, uh, in the Bible. Because it had fairly regularly popped up into, our, uh, into the AP test. And, and I mean, it makes sense. It's a piece of ancient love poetry. And it, it, it weaves theology in and out a bit, but... Overall, it's, it's a love poem. And we were reading it as a, a copy of it that was, was provided, you know, that this has been used in the past, and it was the NIV version. And my teacher was mad. And it was a really small class. We needed to have three people in order for this class to happen. And Chris dropped out after the first week. So there were only two of us in the class with the teacher. So we, we had a lot of free time to talk. And my teacher started talking about how she really hated the NIV. That she thought it was a terrible, a terrible version of the Bible. And, and then telling me and my classmate how she, she believed that the only good version of the Bible was the King James Version. The 1611 one. Now, I argued with her, because it was a class where we got into arguments from time to time. And, and I, there was just no getting around that. To her, it was the only good version. Now, I could stand up here and tell you why the NIV is far superior to the KJV, because of its source materials and its age and the translators, you know, have anyway. The KJV is beautiful, but it's not as well trained. It's, it's not at the same level that modern translations are at. We're not going into that. And I remember that being the first time I really, like, I do not agree with my teacher. I think she is dead wrong. Now, to be fair, I've actually thought many of my teachers are dead wrong about other things, but it was because I believed something that was false, and I knew that later. But this is the first time I really firmly, really believed and argued with the teacher over this. 
and it was so dumb, and it was completely inappropriate for school because teachers and students, I do not believe, should be talking about faith subjects like that. You know, that's the kind of thing that should happen in church and with parents, not in a public school. And looking back, it was inappropriate. But I remember that being the first time I really realized that my teachers could be quite as fallible as I was. It's something I remind myself of often. It's easy, especially when you have kids, to just start believing everything that comes out of your mouth to them. Like, like I, I know I'm not perfect, and I know that I probably say the wrong things to them and whatnot, but on the other hand of it, like me sitting down and telling Gracie why, you know what, we went and got Swinson's on Friday. We should not go and get Swinson's again on Saturday. And I could take 20 minutes to explain to her that the food is, is as tasty as it is. Having fast food every single day is not good for you. You know, it's a treat. And you take 20 minutes to tell them that. Or you can eventually give up because they're not listening to you and just say, that's just the way it is. Just accept it. You very quickly fall into that hole of, just listen to what I'm telling you and don't argue with me. You know, and then out of that very quickly grows that idea that I just know. Don't argue, just accept what I'm telling you is the truth. When in all, in all facts, you know, I want my daughter to question things. I want her to question me. I want her to question her teachers. I want her to question everything she reads because I believe in questioning and sussing out a good answer. We grow and we learn and we become more full humans because when you just accept things blindly, it doesn't help. I think that was Nicodemus's issue. Now, Nicodemus comes out as not necessarily a positive character in this story. He's not negative, but he's not positive either. And I will, I will start this sermon by telling you that Nicodemus ends up being a really good guy in the end. Now, the Gospel of John tells the story a little different than the other ones, but in the end of John, Nicodemus, along, who, who, he's on the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, you know, these are the people who are, are in charge of, of the justice system of, of Judah, underneath the Romans, of course. So by the end of this, he, along with Joseph Arimathea, from Arimathea, will, will together publicly go into the Sanhedrin and ask for, for Jesus' body. He is going to come out and, and declare to people, that he is a friend of Jesus. Whether he believes or not, that's another question. But at the very least, he considered himself an ally or a friend of Jesus. But the story starts with Nicodemus visiting in the night. Now, how, who here likes to go visit people in the night? No? No, usually you would go for dinner, right? And then you, you would stay late. But you don't go like you know, knock on someone's door at night. That's not typical, and it wasn't typical back then. No, this is the kind of thing you do when you don't want anyone to know what you're doing. And like, he probably you know, got up and his wife was like, hey, where are you going? He's like, oh, I'm just going to 
go take a walk. Yeah, I might go take a walk. And then he pulls the cloak over his head so no one can tell it's Nicodemus because he's an important man. And he sneaks over to where Jesus is staying. It's all in Jerusalem. And, and you know, knocks on the door and, and Peter opens the door and Nicodemus comes in, pulls back his robe. And that's the first time that everyone knows who it is. He goes in there and, and he goes, look, Jesus, you're a teacher. You're a rabbi, like me. You know, you're a teacher just like me, right? And, and I know God's with you because I've, I've seen and heard of the things you've done. So surely God is with you. you. You are a great teacher. And Jesus goes, no, I am not a teacher like you. I'm not here like you. I'm here to teach a different lesson. What it must have been like for, for Nicodemus to have, you know, and, and he's on the Sanhedrin. You know, he's, he's probably not a young man. I know I told the kids he was old, but we don't really know. He's, he's probably in his, his late 40s or 50s or 60s. You know, he's, he's been someone who has had experience. He's not the new young guy. You know, this is, I know we've got many educators in here, but you know, some of you guys have been teaching for at least 10 years or more. Imagine having a 22-year-old straight out of college come into your classroom and tell you, you're doing it wrong. I think I just set their jaws on edge, maybe. Eh, eh. Yeah, that's not nice. I mean, I, I hated doing that when I was working in the kitchen. You can get some new manager who only been with the company for like three months of training, and they would come into my kitchen at the restaurant and tell me I was doing things wrong. It's like, well, we have a reason. No. So Nicodemus, he's not only a teacher, he's a well-respected one, and he is on the Sanhedrin. He is someone who, who they come to with problems, and he tells them how to solve the problem. He is someone who says, this person is right and this person is wrong. According to my decades of experience of studying the scriptures and applying them to life, and here comes this 30-year-old Jesus up from Nazareth, from that, you know, yeah, they're super religious up there, but it's backwards. It's, you know, it's, it's like, you know, backwoods West Virginia. You know, they're coming in from the backwoods area, and he's coming down here and telling me, the well-educated, you know, the, the seminary professor slash judge that I'm doing this wrong. Well, Jesus then talks about birth. And there, there's two ways to take this. You know, there's the way we often talk about, you know, being born again. You know, being born of the Spirit. Being, you know, that, that's a part of representation of baptism. That's one of the reasons we do baptism, is you go into the water and symbolically die and are resurrected in the Spirit. You are born again in the Spirit. And that's part of it. But I think another big part of it is Jesus reminding him that he has gotten to a point in his life where he has shut himself off from learning. I don't think that should ever happen. He has gotten to the point of his life where he kind of expects people to just listen to him. 
Because, you know, he's been around the block for a long time. He doesn't need to explain himself. He's got his reasons. Look, you shouldn't eat fast food two days in a row. It's not good for you. Just accept what I'm telling you. That is true, by the way, and I'm not going to go into that because you should all know that just listen to me, right? Yes. Nicodemus still struggles with this. He doesn't get it. The education system of, of ancient Judea at this time is actually pretty good. And comparing that to most of the nations under Roman power, and it, it dates back to the exile. Everything dates to the exile. You know, they lost the temple, and so they no longer had the priests who were able to, to properly offer sacrifices to God. So, and they were all spread out, and you may not even have a Levite or someone of the priestly clan living in your area. So what were you supposed to do? So they started having people who, who were well-versed in their, in their faith. This is when we see the, the books of the Bible are first being written down because they're being handed between these, these different groups of, uh, of Jews living all over ancient Babylon, and they're, they're starting to read, and they're starting to teach one another, and they're starting to raise up questions, and all of a sudden we have this new movement which becomes the Pharisees and the rabbi movements. It's it's the earliest start of what we see now as modern Judaism comes out of the exile. So when they come back, this continues, and you have all these, these teachers all over the place who maybe of any tribe who are all reading the scriptures together, and they're arguing, and they're forming different schools of, of thought. And when you're a young Jewish boy, you, you go to, we wouldn't, they wouldn't call it yeshiva, but essentially yeshiva, you know, Hebrew school where they would be taught this law. You know, they had somebody up in front who's got the Torah in front of them and they're, they're reading the Torah and having the boys uh, memorize what they're hearing. That, that's my Torah scrolling, except they read that way. Anyway. Um, and they were, they were scrolling. No? And they were being taught the law, and, and they were trying to memorize. And, and those who, who did the best, you know, started to be taught Hebrew, and then they eventually could go, and they could study underneath a, an actual rabbi. And that's how schools formed, you know. One rabbi had an opinion of how things should be read, and so they taught it to their students, and if this way became popular, then they would teach it to their students, and before you knew it, you had a whole school of thought. And so it was passed down from the exile. You know, the great rabbis like Hillel, um, or I can't think of his name all of a sudden, another one who, who uh, Paul, when he was still Saul, studied under. You know, these great rabbis. And, and so at this point, we still are talking about a really low literacy rate. Only like 10% actually can read. But everybody knows their scriptures. So this is the, the tradition that Nicodemus is a part of. 
a tradition that has existed now for centuries, which has been tried and tested, that has gone through the exile, that has gone through cauldrons, you know, the, the crucible, and, and has come out this new, this new iteration of their faith that has continued to grow and strengthen. And he's told it's all wrong. Sort of. I, I, just want to, I just want to let that kind of sink in. You know, it isn't that he's just being criticized for his way of doing things, but the whole system is being criticized. Everything that has come up to him, you know, has trickled into him. You know, this, this is like someone coming around, you know what, I, I, I do not like my old high school, my old alma mater. I had a terrible time in it. Yeah. But at the same time, none of you are allowed to criticize it. You know, the way that is? I mean, you've, you probably all have those relationships too, whether it's with a place you've been, or attended, or hometown, or, or somebody in your family. You're allowed to criticize them, but no one else is allowed to criticize it. You know, the only people who can make fun of Juniata Valley are Juniata Valley grads and those who taught there, which happened to be mostly grads, but that's part of the problem. <laughs> but what Jesus here is doing is saying that we need to relook at this education system as you are thinking about it. Now, this is the third institution. So the first institution Jesus encountered was the marriage and saying, you know, we need, you need to center your marriage on me, on God. When you center your marriage on God, it will just go better. It'll be good without, but it'll go a lot better with. And, you know, the second institution was the temple. And the temple had become a place of money-making and it become a place of, of pride, of, of avarice. But when it's re-centered on Christ, when it's re-centered on Jesus, on God... It becomes a place of worship, it becomes house of God. And so we now talk about how we learn. Now, I will always be, and this is, this is my old brother and self-talking, I do not think that, that Christianity should be taught in schools. That's me. You may disagree with me, that's fine. I'm not the person who expects you to agree with me and everything, but I would like my child to learn about faith from me and from you all, not from someone I don't really know. That just matters too much. I want her to learn history and math and reading and writing and that at school. But anyway, I'm getting a lot of feedback, by the way. So, so I, there, I'm better. Anyway, so when it comes to this new education system that Jesus is talking about, he's saying, you know what? When you guys are reading the Torah, when you're doing all this, you're all just thinking about what it means to live, about what it means to, to just fulfill the rules, to do this thing, then that thing, then that thing. You know, you, you open up the Torah and you go, here is the instruction manual. Here is where you put the calipers. Here is where you put the pressure gauges. Here is where you put the lines. 
you know, you do all these things. You do, you know, you, you honor your mom and dad. You, you don't adulter. You don't eat pork. And you got it right. You, you got this idea of living in a fleshy way. But what the Torah is talking about, what I am talking about, what my life is talking about is living on a spiritual way. Not to just take these simple things and apply them in a way that, you know, makes you live right. But do it in a way that when you live that way, you feel right too. That your spirit is aligned with God. Which I think in a good everyday education system does work. You know, yeah, I want my daughter to be able to tell that 2 plus 2 equals 4. We're working on that right now. 2 plus 2 equals 4, but 3, but three, 3, plus, three plus 3 often equals 7. We're working on it. Math's not her strong point. You know, I want her to be able to read. And she loves to read. She spent all day reading, if she could. Actually, she spent all day listening to stories as she could. But what I want her to hear in those stories, what I really want out of her, is that when she reads something like, we're reading the Boxcar Children right now. Great books, been a long time since I read them. I want her to enjoy the story about Henry and Jesse and Violet and Benny and Watch, but what I want her to learn out of it is from these children that they, despite the world working against them, they continue to be upbeat and to work together and to push with their ingenuity so that they can have what they need to survive and to live and to thrive. You know, there are the words on the page and there's the meaning behind it that you, I want my daughter to really hear. Jesus is looking at this education system that has simply become reading the words on the page and has forgotten what's behind it, behind it, the spirit that's there that says, you know what? Love your neighbors doesn't mean, you know, simply don't go out there and stab them in the eye because they, they painted your side of the fence. Don't do that. Love your neighbor means you go in and check on them. If they're sick, you bring them chicken noodle soup. It's kosher. There's no eggs in the noodles, you know. If, if they're, you know, if, if your neighbor looks like they're having a bad day, you stop and you talk to them. There's loving your neighbors in terms of just the basic, and there's the loving your neighbors of what it means behind that. You need to live that. Be born again. Become like a little child. Don't just absorb what's on the surface level. Absorb all the levels. Reshape who you are as a human, the way that you shape a little child. You know, I, I do this constantly with my child. You, many of you have done this with children in your lives. That You, you don't want to tell them to just succeed because they know 2 plus 2 equals 4. You want them to succeed because you want them to be a good person, a moral person, an ethical person, a person who loves, who cares. That's why I think this is part of the story because he goes in that next part. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son not to condemn it, but to save it. Yes, Jesus and the story is about what it's supposed to happen at the end. At the end, end, you know, apocalypse, end of the world kind of things. But Jesus is always worried about what's happening right now too. 
Jesus is worried about the lives you are living right now, about the world you are creating. And if you have the spirit of a little child who is born again, and you live the kind of life that Jesus is calling you, and you have yourself open to learning and to growing like a little one, and you grow to care and you grow to love, the world you will create is not one that God will condemn, but one God is saving through you. I try to do that. I try to keep learning. I encourage you to act like a little child still. Maybe crack open an old book. Boxcar Children's still pretty good. Gotta remind yourself that it's written in the 1940s, and so things are a little out of touch in terms of why is there no CPS services helping these kids? But, um, you know, or, or you know, read, read something else. Read something that's out of your comfort zone. I think I've, I've, I mentioned this in some letter at some point, or to somebody, I can't remember who I wrote about this, you know. If, if you are, if you are, say like us, you know, living in a predominantly white area, you know, in Protestant-esque church, I would encourage you to read uh, something by a guy named James Cone, inner city, black, Baptist, um, hard life. You know, if you were living in, in a Latina church and, you know, it was a, a Pentecostal, I would urge you to read something by a guy named Niebuhr. You know, if, if you, whatever your thing is, read outside your comfort zone, hear their stories, hear where they are coming from, from their honesty, from what they have actually lived, because that has shaped their experience so that you can grow. You may not agree with them, and that's okay. We are all adults. We have all grown out of the phase where we think that mom and dad are always right, at least I hope. Jayton, mom and dad are still right. Same for you too, Colin. Or the um, mom and dad are still right. But listen to their stories. Listen to how God has worked in their lives. Don't shut yourself off. Be a little child, ready to absorb the worldviews of others so that you can grow in love and grow in faith. Never stop learning. Thank you. So go out and learn. Keep learning. Keep pushing. Keep seeing who you are, seeing who God is, seeing God through the eyes of others. We never stop learning. We are called to live a life in constant, constant learning. So I encourage you to do that and find a little better out who you are, who Jesus is, the Holy Spirit's movements, and who God the Creator is. Keep learning. Amen.